Call 405-735-5510. It's time for The Rush with OU color analyst Teddy Lehman and Tyler McComas. Got a question or opinion? Hit the guys up at 405-651-3439 or call the Riverwind Casino call-in line at 405-329-9000. Live from the Buffalo Wild Wings studios, it's The Rush with Teddy Lehman and Tyler McComas. Fired up. Let's go. What are you fired up about? Every life, the football, the media, the press, the fans, the world, my wife, my family, my grandkids, everything, you name it. You're not down on anything at all? Nothing. Not a single thing? No. How'd practice go? Outstanding. One of the best practices we've had in my 10-year history here. About those That's why I chewed their ass out for 10 minutes afterwards. What the politicians <laughs> stealing all the money from the Oh, man, you got to love it. He's the best. That's kind of how I'm feeling today. Everything's great. It's perfect. It's amazing. Yeah, well, I, you did sound like Jim Moore a few days ago. I think I speak for everyone on the text line where you did sound like Jim Moore after a uh, practice a couple of days ago talking about this team, but... Yesterday, it was the exact opposite of Jim Mora. It almost kind of sounded like well, Jim what, Mora right there. Now, hang on there. a second. I don't feel like those are fair characterizations mm. as of what exactly has gone down. A week ago, I said that we're a long way from where we need to be. We've got a bunch of inexperienced players out there still. We've moved some some players around in some positions. We've got some transfer guys out there, some early arrival guys out there. But nothing – I said the same thing this Wednesday. Yeah, but it was a different Except tone. I did say they looked better. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a bit but, of a different tone, so – that's that's all. Okay. That's all I'm saying. It was. Uh, hey, it's not bad to be compared to Jim Mora. We just are, we just said he's the best. Right. Okay. I, I meant it. I meant it as a compliment, probably more than anything. No, that, that he yeah. he he is the best though. Um, what's the uh, what's the scuttle from the uh, scrimmage yesterday? Offense looked pretty good. It sounds like the offense looked pretty good. Um, it's hard to take a whole lot away from it. You never know. You give up a couple of long touchdowns or something. You just you never know exactly how those unfold. Um, but sounds like the offense had a successful day. And I don't think it means necessarily that the defense was horrible or whatever it may be. But sounds like they had at least some uh, some nice wow plays yesterday. So that's good. I think that's where I would expect things to be. I expect the offense to be. Uh, pretty far ahead of where the defense is. And right. I think that's going to be the case continuing in for quite some time. Well, especially when they're uh, running tempo, like I'm sure they were at times yesterday. Not that the defense won't be yeah. able to handle tempo at all this year, but this offense is I mean, its its pretty experienced by now, especially with the quarterback running tempo. So when they want to speed it up, there's definitely an edge there, for sure. Yeah. Yep, yeah, they've got some good playmakers. Um you know, the backfield 
whenever they've got guys healthy and everyone's back there, they are uh, they're pretty explosive. The young freshman, uh, what the kid from uh, North Texas area, Hicks, was he what was he a Denton guy? Caleb Hicks was uh, what was he Denton? He's 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 in the area that you're talking about though. I, I can't remember which high yeah. school, but yeah, r- young running backs looking good. I I was ready to come with the take today about uh, how high level of a wide receiver one that this team's going to have. It's like, okay, it's nice to hear that Andrew Anthony's doing some nice things and some other guys, but, man, they really need someone to emerge as one of the best wide receivers in the Big 12. And obviously that would help. But I went back and looked at all 14 of OU's Big 12 titles and how many times they had a unanimous uh, all-Big 12 wide receiver, which unanimous means – in both the media and the coaches' poll, they were ranked as a or, – or they were voted on as a first-teamer. You want to guess how many times that's happened in their 14 Big 12 titles? How many times OU's had a uh, unanimous all-Big 12 wide receiver first team? Um, out of 14, out of 14, I would say half, seven times. No, less than that. Only five times have they had a unanimous – all Big 12 first team wide receiver in their 14 Big 12 titles. Yeah, well, I think we learned recently that there's a little bit of bias going on in that whole situation. Yeah. I, they won one Big 12 I, but, in what, 2020 and didn't have one all conference guy, it seemed like. Yeah, uh, Mims was second team uh, on both on that one. But really, it, where, where you didn't see. Like, you've seen more unanimous guys here recently than you had 2015 to prior. Like, 2000, Antoine yeah. Savage was a second-team guy. But there were only, like, two first-team wide receivers on the ballot in 2000. Yeah. But Antoine Savage was second-team. 2002, you didn't have anyone voted first or second-team when you won the Big 12 championship then. Right. 2004 was the first time Mark Clayton was unanimous. Uh, 2006, Malcolm Kelly was second team. 2007, Malcolm Kelly was second team. 2008, Joaquin Iglesias was second team. Then 2010, you had Broyles, who was unanimous. 2012, Stills was second team. 2015, Sterling Shepard was one on the coaches uh, list, but number two with the media, which is a little bit of a joke, but whatever, that's not unanimous. D.D. Westbrook was in 2016. 2017, you didn't have anyone. That historic offense that you had in 2017, you didn't have a wide receiver on the first or second team in that year, which is wild. Uh, Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. 2018, you had Hollywood. 2019, you had CD. 2020, you didn't have one. You had Mims, uh, a second teamer. So you've had more recently than you had before, but sure, just five out of the 14 years. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, there's been a lot of really good receivers come out of this conference um, recently. Um, there's been some really good players, big, big guys. There's been some speedsters. So, I don't know. Maybe this is the year. Uh, right now, I would say Andrell Anthony, probably your best bet at the moment. Now, things can obviously change. Um Farouk can settle in and and end up being a guy that is huge for you, both with you know the short stuff with the ball in his hand and being a he's versatile. He's a short 
guy. He's a short-range guy. He's a deep ball guy. So you can do a little bit of everything with him. But I, I think Andrew Anthony, he's going to be your, like, your purest deep threat, your best deep threat. I would say he's got a chance to maybe wow some people and kind of come out of nowhere and garner a ton of uh, attention. And who knows if – if he and Dylan Gabriel end up finding a really good connection and like, it just it clicks on some of that deep stuff, there's no telling how good he could be. Yeah, if they're lethal with the uh, – if they're a lot more lethal with the deep ball. It's just – I mean, they hit on it last year. They did, but, man, there were just so many consistent. times. There were just so many times where, yeah, man, it's just so inconsistent where Gabriel misses someone over the middle at West Virginia or someone drops it down the field. It's just – we talk about the margin of error for this team and – now that you're a few months removed away from the season, you look back at six and seven, you look at all the things that could have dramatically changed that record, and there's so many things that you can look at. But deep balls, even though you might say well, that was one of the better things they were at offensively, they were still inconsistent. And I, you hit on a few more of those, and it, it could look drastically different from last year. Yeah. Well, it, it's not just the yardage, and it's not just the points that come from it. It keeps people from defending you the way that I was, you know, talking about yesterday. If you hit on a couple of deep balls, it backs everyone off to where they stop piling the box on us and, you know, just going man free and trusting those guys to cover up our wide receivers and choking everything out, forcing us into up-tempo to try and find a little bit of space. Uh, if you start hitting deep balls, that backs those guys off of the line and uh, will help open up the run a bunch. And we just, for whatever reason last year, could not find the right mix remember to the, get things going. Uh, remember the Iowa State game? I feel like they tried yeah. about seven or eight deep balls that game. And, and, and I think that Levy picked great situations to take a chance in a low-scoring football game like that. And they still won the game, but I think they were like 0 for 7 or 0 for 8 on deep balls that day. They didn't hit yeah. on one of them, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yep, um, that's got to be a big part of the offense. And, and whenever this thing is firing on all cylinders like you want it to, that's going to be the case. Um, you just got to be able to to run the football whenever you really want to. Quick hit, get people off their uh, little bit off their game, hit them over the top of the deep ball. And as a defensive coordinator, you've just got to get really, really conservative on your play calling to protect your guys. So. Yeah, and, and we saw that really work by, uh, like it's supposed to. We saw it happen throughout the season several different times, just not as much as we would like. I'll tell you when it feels like the, uh, the deep ball never failed. It's uh, back in the day when you guys would get a turnover on defense, and, ah, oh, this is so vintage Bob Stoops. But you get the turnover on defense, you get the momentum if you didn't already have it, and then you go right back to a big play, uh, first play on offense, play action deep ball. It feels yeah. like that. Like there was never – I'm sure there, there actually was. But it felt like every time the defense got a big play, got a turnover, got the ball back, the deep, the offense is going deep, and it was uh, Jason White to Brandon Jones every single time for a touchdown or a big play. Those were the yeah. days. Well, that's what you got to be able to have. And, you know, those plays came from the ability to run the football really, really well. And, you know, times have changed. So, I, with those offenses, 
you go look at Jason White's Heisman numbers from 03, uh, they're, they're probably not what you would expect because things were different. You, a lot of the times now we are, we continue to throw it and go get more and more yards. Why? Because, well, you got to have a quarterback that has those type of numbers for recruiting. Like you want a guy to go win the Heisman Trophy, and you have to have spectacular numbers to do it. So you keep pushing the ball through the air. With Jay White, it was a little bit different. You were fine. Goal was to win the football game, you know, and you're fine running it, slowing things down, you know, having fewer possessions, and you know you're you're just not the type of numbers is whenever you go fast, but. You know, I get it. I understand why uh, there's that push for that because it helps recruit another top talent. Uh, Jay White, his 2003 Heisman season, he had 3,744 yards, so over 3,700 yards, 40 touchdowns, and just eight interceptions. So we all remember Sam Bradford throwing 50 touchdowns in 2008. Um, Ten less touchdowns yeah. won Jay White the Heisman in 03. I don't. I mean, you guys, you guys put up a ton of points in in two thousand three. I guess I don't know what my expectations were, but when you said you might be surprised about his numbers, um, forty touchdowns and close to thirty eight hundred yards. That's maybe where I thought it was going to be. If if I would have had to guess, definitely the forty right. touchdowns more than likely. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I guess a lot of those interceptions came late, right? Weren't there? Uh, LSU and Kansas State. We threw a pick six. Or is in both it just of those a bunch games. of sacks against? No, yeah. a pick six against K State and a pick six against LSU. So there's uh, there's at least two of them. Oh, and uh, how can we forget? And I'm sure that Jason White hasn't the interception that he threw against Oklahoma State that year uh, when Mike Stoops came up to him and said, "Thanks for ruining my shutout." Isn't that the story you told me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's nice. That's good. I think Jason told us that. Didn't he tell us that on he, here? He, he probably did. That's good. Yeah. Uh, 9-1-8, the Alabama game in 3 Big play. It wasn't after the defensive play, but after the fake punt. Yeah, that's true. Fake yep. punt to Michael Thompson. Yep. Then you go uh, up top to Brandon Jones right after that. So, anytime defense special teams grab the momentum, you can always count on uh, Bob going deep on the next play, and it's probably going to go for a touchdown. But Well, I, I think we could – I mean, there's a chance we have – that capability this year. Andrew Anthony's a dude that can run past a lot of people. Um, you know, comes back to the offensive line, protection, ability to run the football to give them the looks that they need in order to run those plays. So, yeah, I uh, I, I remain optimistic, Tyler, with uh, Oklahoma's offense. Peyton says, Gavin Freeman, all Big 12, book it. Do they do all oh, Big really? Twelve? Do they do all Big Twelve like kick returners? I guess you can be an all Big Twelve special teams player. Peyton, are you calling him an all Big Twelve wide receiver, or all Big Twelve special teams, or just purposely you worded it that way to leave yourself open a little bit? <laughs> yeah, he's got some options there uh, for all Big Twelve, which you know, I, I mean, that is interesting. I wonder, you know, we've talked about it. Who's going to be your punt returner? Um, I mean. We didn't. I don't even think we mentioned Gavin Freeman as one of the guys that's a possibility back there, but uh, he's got some really good return skills. 
Well, I mean, it could be Drake Stoops. I mean, if yeah. objective number one, and to my understanding it is, is to just make sure you catch the football as a putt returner, he's going to be one of the better options that you have back there. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't. I don't know how I would handicap his odds right now, but it sounds like he's in that mix, and I wouldn't be – I just wouldn't be all that shocked if it's Drake Stoops back there at some point this year. Right. Yep. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. All right. How about this? Let's hit an opening timeout. Everyone hit us on the text line, 651-3439. Um, let us know, punt returner, who's going to be the all-Big 12 wide receiver if we have one? And are you worried about the defense uh, with it sounded like maybe they gave up a bunch of plays yesterday in the scrimmage? Let us know, 651-3439. Hanging out Riverwind Casino today. We'll be back. This is the Ref Sports Radio Network. GMC continues its commitment to professional. Friday on the rush, Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman, 405-651-3439. Interact with the show on the text line. And don't forget the spring game coming up in 15 days, two weeks from tomorrow. We'll be at Yo Pablo on Campus Corner before the game from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. And then we'll be uh, at Yo Pablo immediately following the spring game as well for a uh, two-hour post-game show. So, if you're a Norman for the spring game, come by and see us at Yo Pablo on Campus Corner. 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. and then two hours immediately following the football game. Text line on the leading receiver. Let's see. Lloyd from El Reno says, can we put Austin Stogner on the list? I was going back and looking, like sure. tr- trying to think of years where OU's leading receiver has been the tight end. And I went to 2017, and that's Andrews pro- was close. He was yeah. right around a thousand, wasn't he? He's 9.58. He was second behind Marquise Brown, who had just under 1,100 yards. I, that's probably the best example that that's we can close. find of a tight end almost leading the team in in receiving yards. But he did lead in right. receptions. Mark Andrews did have the most receptions that year. Right. Well, he's an absolute stud. Uh, we'll have to see kind of how how Stogner and Dylan Gabriel and how just kind of the offense progresses. You know, I'm sure right now they've got their ideas of where things are going to go. But, man, once you get into season, you may stumble across something that works really well that you didn't really expect. And on the flip side of that, you may go into the year thinking that, you know, these handful of big plays and connections could really end up being our bread and butter. And for whatever reason, it just ends up not working out that way. And you've got to, you got to evolve and, and just morph into whatever starts to work. And it's hard to know always who exactly that's going to be. Now, sometimes whenever you got a dude, you got a dude, you know it, and that's going to be your guy. And I just don't know necessarily right now that, they have that. I think they're developing their uh, they're developing what their theory is going to be on on what's going to take place this year. But I think there's still a lot of unknown. Still amazing when I see Marquise Brown uh, over a thousand yards, just under eleven hundred yards in yeah. 2017, when he really didn't emerge until like the back half of the season, and he was still so explosive from that OSU game on that he ends up being the leading receiver. It's nuts, man. Well, Didi, the year Didi was at 16 where he had his huge year, 
Uh, he didn't hardly have a catch before, like, the TCU game. Conference play, and yeah. he just exploded. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was kind of absent, maybe a little bit banged up. He had like a up. hamstring injury Yeah, in the non-conference, and then the TCU game, he emerged, and it was uh, – it was it was off from there for sure. Nine one eight says no first team all conference wide receiver. Offense is too versatile slash multi uh, multi. I hope Oklahoma has the yeah. first team all conference running back. If so, ten to eleven wins at a minimum for this team. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess that's a question. Um, you you hope that they have a first team all uh, all Big Twelve running back. That's probably the right answer, but if you could handpick not a particular player but a position where OU has a All-Big 12 first-teamer that not at quarterback anywhere else, I would probably – yeah, running back's probably the, the right pick there. It just says everything We're about your run game. We're talking strictly offense, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. Just talking offense? Um, Yeah, maybe that's right. I don't know. Well, judging off of what you've said, like we haven't had a whole lot of uh, first-team, all-conference wide receivers, but when we have, they've been conference championship years, right? So, or was that just well, that the was years? Just, that was just conference just... championship years. Yeah, yeah. So okay. five out of the 14 years – OU's won a conference championship. Five out of the 14, they've had a uh, unanimous first-team wide receiver. It was a lot lower than I thought it was going to be. I did not think the number was going to be five. Still surprises me a little bit. How do we feel about wide receiver this year in the conference? You know, Um, Last year was a great year for wide receivers. Yeah, um, Texas got a chance to be pretty good at wide receiver. Yeah. We'll see who emerges as their best player at that position, though. They got A.D. Mitchell transferring in from Georgia. TCU, they got JoJo Earl, the Alabama transfer. I think he was a former at least four-star, maybe five-star guy. To to answer your question without going through every single team is, I don't think it's going to be nearly as good as it was a year ago. Because you're right, man, the star power at that position last year was special. I just, I'm, I feel like if we have a first-team wide receiver because I know we're going to run the football a ton. It's just going to be what we do. It's it's how Levy operates. It is a like, – they almost always end up being 50-50, usually more run than pass. So if we have a receiver that is first team that's telling me he's probably gone over 1,000 yards, then I think that's a really, really good sign. It's also a good sign that Dylan Gabriel had a really nice year. Um, I think I would take wide receiver, even though you know how I typically feel about wide receiver. But Not if you're great. telling me that that is the result, then I think a lot of things had to have gone right for that to take place. Offensive line, running game, Dylan Gabriel having a really good year. So give me the wide receiver. What I'm if, shocked I'm, those words are coming out of my mouth. What about the entire team, excluding quarterback? You can you can have an all Big Twelve first team or unanimous at any position this year outside quarterback. It's wide receiver for the edge. offense. Is it wide receiver for the okay edge? Well, edge. pass rush does need to be better, so that'd be a good sign. Yeah, I mean you look at the. Let's see, Kansas State won it last year. They had the 
had the preseason defensive player of the year. I don't know if he ended up winning it In the whole Duke year. Kind of ended up getting banged up. Um, I, ooh, let me go. I, let me go back and look at that. Actually, I'm not sure if he did. Um, I, if you have an edge that is all Big Twelve, that means that you're talking about most likely led the conference in sacks and is a major disruptor, tackle high number of tackles for loss. And I don't know when's the last time we had an edge guy uh, first team all conference. That has to have been a while. Uh, probably edge guy first team all conference. Um, Oboe maybe. Didn't Oboe win like Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year? Didn't he win that? Uh, anyway, Felix from Kansas State yeah. who we were talking about. He was Defensive Player of the Year in the conference last season. So he was preseason yeah. and he finished as the uh, Defensive Player of the Year. He's a good player, man. Real good player. Yeah. I would I would take that. What about you, total team? Um Yeah, I, because like what when I look at these things, I tend to pick a position that obviously is going to tell the story for that position, but how I think it could impact the entire team. And it's hard for me to think of a spot to where if you're great there, it's going to impact the team more than someone coming off the edge that's getting a ton of sacks and a ton of pressure. So it, it would it would have to be edge to me. At least yeah. somewhere on the defense, if not edge, interior, it'd be somewhere on the defensive line, somewhere. Wow. Uh, Oboe is the last guy. 2017. Boom. Oboe was uh, defensive player of the year, and before that, you got to go back to Frank Alexander in '11. And before that, Rufus Alexander in 06. That just is flat out not good enough. Great. Now you're going to be in a bad mood I'm the sorry. rest of the day. I know you're going to be in a bad mood the rest well, of the day. Well, come now. on, man. You kidding me? <laughs> it is unacceptable. We all agree with that. I, uh, yes, it's shocking. It's surprising. It's disappointing. It's all that. If, starting from the year after Rufus won it, 07, Kansas State has won it. One, two, three times. Uh, Iowa State has won it twice. Ooh, that one hurts. Oklahoma State has one in there with uh, Manuel Ogba. Um, West Virginia has one. It's just, it's not enough, man. Three times? We should be dominating that. Now, here's the interesting thing. Texas Won it in, with Arakpo in 08, and they've only got uh, Jeff Coat in 2013. Jeff Coat won like it. They've been missing more than we. I huh. Jackson Jeff Coat won it in 2013. He and Jason Verrett from TCU tied, which is huh. this is whenever we ushered in the uh, the Big 12 era of nominating or I guess crowning. Multiple guys at every single award postseason every single year. Two offensive players of the year. Two defensive players of the year. Two centers for first team all Big 12. It's, you know, crap like that. This is coming from the guys who won co-personality of the year a week ago. But, yeah, damn that Big 12. Jason Verrett, by the way, he was a first-rounder and Jackson Jeffcoat. I think he got drafted, but I don't. I, I, that's surprising. I don't remember him being an all Big Twelve or a 
defensive player of the year. That's interesting. <laughs> he had 13 sacks that year. Hmm. He earned okay. it. I mean, I remember him being a super high recruit, but I don't remember him having that year. But the, the numbers he don't just lie, had I a, guess. He just had a big sack number. Like, Obo won it in 2017 with eight sacks. I mean, that's like that's the lowest number for an edge guy. Um, Jordan Willis and Ogba the year before. Um, oh, well, actually, no. Um, yeah, yeah. In 15, uh, Manuel Ogba had 12 and a half. The year after that, Jordan Willis had 11 and a half. Uh, Lynch, that one at 19 at Baylor, had 13 and a half. So that's actually a low number of sacks to, to win. I mean, but, of the but year. it is, it is um, disappointing that the star power across the league that we've seen defensively doesn't necessarily indicate a whole bunch of Oklahoma guys. I mean, right. you're mentioning Baylor guys. Like, in terms of star power across the league the past decade, who's had the most? That might be a toss-up between – it's probably TCU, honestly, but it's probably between TCU and Kansas State. Which for who's won it the most no, for I, I'm just long? saying. I'm just saying, like, the past decade, if you were to look at those ten defenses and say, well, like, who's had the most star power – like the, you know, like household names, players yeah. of the year, first-round draft picks, all of that. Like, TCU if, would have a great claim to that, actually, over anyone if, else. If you go 2012 to 2022, Kansas State's won it three times. Um, TCU has two in there. Baylor, Baylor's got three. Baylor's got uh, Andrew Billings in 15. Uh, James Lynch in 19, who was a stud, and then 21 was Petrie, who was maybe the best defensive back that we've had in the Big 12. He's real good. I, maybe real ever. Good. I don't know. He was incredible. Zane says, if you tell me at the end of the year the safety stood out and had a great year, that tells me the whole defense came together. What do you think about yeah. that one? That's true. Well, I don't know. Here's the thing about defensive back. If you go, if you have a season where you've got like six interceptions at defensive back, five interceptions, uh, you're most likely going to win the award, right? Just because of the number of interceptions, when it's not really indicative of how your team played throughout the entire year. So that's the one thing that you have to be careful with at defensive back whenever those guys win the award. Uh, but like Petrie, whenever he won it, like. He had sacks, he had interceptions, he had tackles for loss. That dude was just everywhere. Uh, Willie Mays Hayes on the text line is asking how Curtis Lofton does not win that. So you were reading the last three Big 12 Defensive Players of the Year. I just looked yeah. at 2007 and the Defensive Player of the Year, most of you are not going to remember this guy, Jordan Dizon, a Stud. linebacker from Colorado. Didn't he have just like an incredible amount of tackles throughout his career? What, yeah. Wasn't that his story? Yeah, he uh, he had 114 solo tackles that year and 48 assists. So what's that? Like 165 tackles, something like that, close to it, over 160. Uh, well, he was a really good player. He um, we drafted him in Detroit whenever I was there. Good kid too. Was he any good? Um, how did he play for yeah. the old Lions? Ah, uh, I don't I don't remember. He was there the the last year I was there. Um, but he was he was a good good player. Um. Now, why didn't Curtis Lofton win it? I don't know. Now, he left early. Um, had he come back, he without a doubt would have yeah. yeah. 
he would have, without a doubt, won it and probably won a bunch of national awards. I don't think he won it because Chase Daniel was voting for a defensive player of the year that year. And though Chase Daniel probably should have chose uh, Curtis Lofton, Chase Daniel's worst moments in college football, a couple of them were from uh, Curtis Lofton. I think Chase yeah. Daniel once said the hardest he was ever hit, or maybe ever hit in the game of football, was from Curtis Lofton in that 07 Big 12 championship game. Nice. Oh, that's not a shot. Curtis Lofton is – he's got a dome on him now. He'll, uh, he'll knock you back, which, you know, like I said yesterday – Kobe McKenzie's starting to remind me of of those thumpers that we've had. Lofton was a thumper. Uh, Lance Mitchell was a thumper. Uh, Torrance Marshall was a thumper. So, yeah, that's uh, that's good. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hour number one rolls on. 651-3439. This is the Ref Sports Radio Network. OKC's best casino. Because we provide the best gaming experience. Alongside the best food, drinks, and service. Plus the best rewards program in the metro. That's why Riverwind is your favorite place to play. You won't find better than number one. Dorsey Jones Buick GMC in El Reno is family-owned and operated, and they take pride in providing a no-pressure, friendly sales process with excellent service. Now you can't beat that. Be sure to check out the lineups for Buick and GMC and get top dollar for your trade. So take a little drive to big savings. Dorsey Jones Buick GMC, I-40 and Highway 81, exit 125 in El Reno, or Dorsey-Jones-Buick. And it was because literally from his wrist all the way up to his armpit, black and blue. And I mean, like, you just hearing that, like, yeah, that like, does something to you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, it's it's, he was a great leader, man. Yeah, we have so much respect for that dude, and that's the reason all of the guys that play with him just love seeing what he's doing even to this day. So his wrist from his armpit was bl- black and blue, huh, those final games? Josh Heibels? Yeah. Yeah, you'd never know it, though. Um, I've never it, – it is not necessarily counterintuitive. But, like, if you ask me, and I, like, sat down and thought about it, like, who the coolest quarterback under pressure was at Oklahoma, like, including Baker, including, like, everyone, it may be Josh Heupel, dude. I'm telling you, like, some moments you're sitting at, like, it's one thing to be rolling with a a really good season after, like, the 15 years in front of you have all been, like, 10-win seasons, right? Yeah. But whenever you've got the momentum building and the fan, like, the whole attention of the country just swelling behind you, and you've got to go out and execute and and have something happen. And he was just like so calm and almost like laughing on the sideline. It's not what you think of him now, right? You think that he would be like a uh, almost like a grinder because he's kind of got that that angry demeanor all the time, grumpy demeanor, but was not the case as a quarterback. He'd be he'd you know be warming up throwing balls right there on the sideline before the offense took the field, down a touchdown whatever it may be, 
he'd just throw throw a wink to someone on the sideline, go out there and uh, – and, and do something special. He's got a great claim. Awesome. I mean, think of all the moments of adversity in 2000. Uh, the Kansas State game, someone got yeah. a pump block that game. I can't remember uh-huh. exactly who it was that day. Anyway, uh, the, the, the crowd comes alive in Manhattan after OU gets out to a big lead. And, you know, he, he goes down. I think it maybe gets a field goal late to, to put it to a 10-point game. The Nebraska game, they get down 14 well, nothing. The, the right. A&M game, the, I mean, there's so many games that year, man. The Nebraska game, I it, it's we remember, like, the celebration and everything. And we, we say that we went down 14-0, but I, that's really glossing over how big that deficit was it's the number one team in the country that can absolutely run the mess out of the football. At the height of their program, arguably. At the height of their program. And it's like the the wind totally sucked out of the sails from the fan base, the crowd, like the team, and like that was that's like a defining moment where like if you don't go out there and it's almost like well, it was fun while it lasted. It's okay. It's the number one team in the country. We're, you know, it's just Coach Stoops' second year. Like, if you go lose that game, I, just because where we were as a as a team at that moment, a program at that moment, it's not like it would have been devastating to everyone. And that's right? why it would have been easy to just, you know, exactly. kind of throw it exactly. in and say, yeah, they didn't. How about those guys? Right. Hey, if you want to claim him on this Friday as the coolest under pressure in OU history, I I feel like this is the perfect forum to do so. I think you should do it. I'm doing it right now, and it's not that much of a stretch considering he's the only one that's won a national championship, um, you know, of all the recent guys. And I know that's not recent. It was 20 – coming up on 23 years ago can you say how crazy is that yeah well we quit bringing up bad stuff today okay it's a holiday weekend we're trying to be in good spirits um can you say someone is cool under pressure if every time they're putting a third and 15 or they're down late in the game that maybe they don't just hit a, a great throw over the middle to move the chains for a first down but they'll just take off for a 55 yard run and a touchdown Kyler Murray seemed like he did that quite a bit, cool under the pressure. Well, yeah. It's a little bit different whenever, like, the worst thing that ever that a defense can do, it's like you'd rather have Kyler Murray in third and two than you would in third and 20, right? Because how do you defend it with third and 20? You're going to spread the field and sit back. But whenever you do that, you are just inviting the fastest guy on the field to take off with the ball and be open in space. That's a scary proposition. At least if it's third and two, there's a really good chance that he just hands it to someone else, and that's what ultimately you would you would prefer. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think Josh Heupel's the answer here the more that I think about it. And, and, yeah, the Kansas State game, like that was great to get off to the early lead and then the late field goal, but you're right about that Nebraska game, man. Like – 14 nothing. it might as well have been 28 nothing at that time. And then yeah. if that wasn't well, impressive enough, like what happened at A&M and that comeback, just, man, there's two A&M, incredible ones. Yeah, it, even the national championship game, like, 
I know it was a low-scoring game and there wasn't a whole lot of offense, but I sometimes being cool under pressure means you just play the game, right? You play the game. You don't if you don't have to go throw it over the top, stretch the field, fit it into tight windows, if you can just play the game as it unfolds and be smart with the football and let let your team kind of do the work for you, then I think that's being cool under pressure as well. Instead of forcing things in a national championship game whenever maybe it's it's a grind out there, things aren't happening. Instead of forcing it, you just continue to allow the game to come to you. I'll put so. it out on our Twitter page, at KREF Sports, if you want to interact on that. Who's the coolest? Yep. What would you say coolest in the clutch? Coolest under pressure? What's How'd you word it again? Uh, I don't know how I worded it, honestly. Make sure you tag him uh, at head coach <laughs> Vols or whatever. I'll, I'll, put a, I'll put a photo of him with the cigar hanging out of his mouth after the Bama win last year. How yeah. about that? All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We will wrap up hour number one from Riverwind next. This is your home for Sooner fans. The Ref Sports Radio Network. Without the support that I received from Paralyzed Veterans of America. Learn more at pva.org. Cavens Group bringing you this hour of The Rush, CavensGroup.com, 405-573-3048. Call Cavens Group if you have an emergency repair. Uh, Interesting text on the text line, kind of off topic, but do you guys think having a backup with as much talent as Jackson Arnold helps the development of wide receiver twos and threes, or is it just a moot point? Sure, absolutely I think it does. Um, when you're a wide receiver, and I'm not a wideout, so this is a little bit of a guess for me, but when, when you are a, a wide receiver and you're rolling with the second unit and you feel like your quarterback is just a guy, right? The first team get, gets the good them. quarterback that makes all the plays and uh, the second group, well, we just got to go out and get get what we can. But uh, if you feel like the second team quarterback is a stud and is just like waiting to have his moment, like when you take the field in practice, in spring game and scrimmages, uh, you're confident that something's going to happen. I, I do think it makes a difference. Absolutely. Sure. Not that you ever uh, cut off a route because you think your quarterback sucks, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe in the back of your mind – it's, yeah, I may be about 50 yards past the line of scrimmage, but this guy might get it to me here if he gives me a chance down the field. Instead well, of just saying I, this I guy can't throw it 30 yards, forget about that. Well, and, and it's also the offense is going to be ran like it's supposed to instead of the backup guy maybe missing the read and the ball should have come out quick and he pulls it down and now it's kind of a scramble drill and he runs himself into a sack. Like Those are missed reps for the wide receivers too. So, yeah, if you've got a guy that can do it at number two and, like, he can he can make the reads, he can deliver the football, um, he can see the defense and know what you should check to. And, you know, in, instead of missing that and running the, the running play, instead of checking out of it and hitting the wide out on a rail 
uh, route down the sideline? Absolutely, I think it matters. 100%. All right, quick timeout. Hour number two of The Rush coming up next. 1400 AM, KREF, Norman, Moore, Oklahoma City, and 99.3 FM, K257DA, The Ref Sports Radio Network.